My parents are up at the, the hospital with my grandma this morning. They flew her out to spring. She is doing amazing, making a wonderful recovery. I'm sure she's watching, so I don't know. I, we got new cameras, so she probably can't see you. But we're going to pretend that you're all waving at her and she can see you. But and my mom and dad say hello, but they wanted you to know where they were in good reports. Um, so thank you for just prayer and everything that everybody sent. So I'm studying last night, and I, I wake up in the middle of the night because my, my message is rolling around in my head to the point that I'm having weird dreams. And so I was frustrated. I woke up and finally went and prayed about midnight, and I'm going, God, like, you got to help me with this. And I couldn't figure out why I was frustrated about the message. Well, then I realized what I had been dreaming, and as I'm preaching, Brandon keeps playing, like, Thanksgiving fail videos. Like, people ruining turkeys and bad family gatherings and like it's just these thanksgiving fail videos and these dancing turkeys keep coming on the screen and i was trying to preach but these things keep coming up and i'm like i don't know how to preach on being thankful when everybody is failing on the screen and i know that's funny but it was totally something last night i was so frustrated like get the stupid videos off the screen i'm trying to preach and so Brennan's over there. He has no control over the computer. There will be no videos on the screen. Hopefully, hopefully. I don't know, but just, I don't know. I don't think it was prophetic. I think it was just a dream. But this morning, as we said, we're talking about the power of our praise. And the first place I would like to go is 1 Thessalonians 5.16. I have a Really fun story to get into, but before we get there, I just kind of want to lay a foundation as it is Thanksgiving week, but more than just Thanksgiving week, because it's amazing that every November the whole world becomes thankful. The rest of the year we complain, but in Thanksgiving, we are thankful all November long. Um, 516, it says, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God. In everything, give thanks. So it doesn't just say for everything. It doesn't just say when things are going your way. It says in everything, give thanks. So we see three things here. We see that we are to rejoice always. We see that we are to pray without ceasing. And we see that we are going to give thanks in everything. Now let's keep going to Hebrews 13, 15. says, therefore, by him, let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. I'm going to read that one more time. Therefore, by him, let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. The fruit of our lips. What is coming off of our lips? Is it praise? Is it thanksgiving? Or is it grumbling and is it complaining? It says to do all things without grumbling and complaining. Psalm 34, 1. And we're going to read through three, and it says, I will bless the Lord at all times, not sometimes, at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. 
His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul shall make his boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear of it and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. So we see in these first few scriptures that we've read so far that we are to think without ceasing, that we are continually to have praise on our lips for God, and that we are right here that we shall continually, his praise shall continually be in my mouth. So that as a theme that we've seen right now, just the foundation, God wants us to praise all the time. And here's something I want us to catch. We think sometimes like, well, that's kind of arrogant of God, don't you think? He just wants us to praise him all the time, right? That's just a thought we have. Like, has anybody else wondered, like, why? See, praise isn't for God. Praise is for us. When we praise God, then it takes our eyes off of our circumstance and it puts our eyes on God. So without praise in our life, we will be focused on our circumstances constantly. We will not be focused on God. Even a prayer life without thanks and without praise, our focus will be so much on our circumstances that our prayer life becomes, oh dear God, help me. Oh God, help me through this. God, why is this happening? God, why this? God, do you even know what I'm going through? Are you even up there? Are you? And that's what our prayer life turns into because we are so overwhelmed by what we're facing. We're so overwhelmed by our circumstances that we can't see God past them to the point that we don't even know that God is there. Crazy, right? And we get ourselves to this place by not living a lifestyle of praise, not living a lifestyle of thanks. And the reason that God says to praise continually, to thank continually, is because if we're doing that, then our continual focus is on him instead of what's going on out here. And that's his heart for us because he goes, when your focus is on me, then it activates something different into your atmospheres. It activates something different into your circumstances. You get a different vantage point into the circumstances that you're facing when your eyes are focused on me and not focused on what's going on around you. I want to jump right into a story here that it, it's been on my heart for about the last month. And every time I read it, I feel like there's more and more and more and more and more revelation to the point I've read it so many times and went, God... I can't preach it. I've read it too many times. Like I'm just, we got to move on to something else. And then again, it just comes up. So let's go over to 2 Chronicles 20. And there is so much in this story. And this is where I'd say, I want you to like extra focus, grab hold of everything here because it is truly, truly, truly life-changing. And this is the story of King Jehoshaphat. And it says, it happened after this that the people of Moab with the people of Ammon and others with them besides the Ammonites came to battle against Jehoshaphat. Then some came and told Jehoshaphat, saying, a great multitude is coming against you from beyond the sea of Syria, and they are in Hazan. Tamar and Jehoshaphat feared and set himself to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast through all of Judah. So Judah gathered together to ask for help from the Lord and from all the cities of Judah, they came to seek the Lord. Okay, I wanna pause there for a minute. We're gonna read the whole story, but I wanna break it down as we go because I wanna put ourselves in the story. It's no fun to just read the Bible stories and pretend they were cute and happened a long time ago. We can do that on Pinterest. We want to read the word and find out how it actually applies to my life. These are not cute quotes, like encouraging quotes for today. That's what Bible Pinterest is. We wanna know how do I get power from what it says right here, right? This is life-changing word of God. Let's not make it a cute quote. So in this story, Jehoshaphat is just having just a real fine day, okay? Then these people come and they say, hey, 
not just one of your enemies, but all of them are coming to attack you. They're actually already on their way. Okay, that's some bad news, I would think. Like not prepared for this. It is unexpected circumstance. It's this unexpected thing that we're facing. Anybody have one of those in 2020? Yeah, I'm the only one. Okay, well, you guys go home. I'm gonna continue to preach to myself. All right, there's some bad things that we faced in 2020. There's some unexpected news that we faced in 2020. There's probably unexpected news you might've got this morning, right? These are not great news. And it seems like maybe because 2020 was such a big, big bad news year that all the little news is just piling up. Where usually if there's like not a big bad news year, it's just lots of little news. But now it's just lots of big news and little news. And that's all around us. It's just news. It even comes on my watch like every few minutes. News update, news update. So we, he gets this news. So my question to you, how do we get into this story? When you get this news, what do you feel? Not that these people are coming to attack you. I don't think Moab's coming, but I mean, I've been there a couple times. Um, but your news, how do you feel? What's the emotion that you feel? Is it anger? Is it a complete oppression? Is it bitterness? What, what might it be? What is that thing? What is that feeling that comes? It says, Jehoshaphat feared. See, emotion is totally okay to feel. God created it. And sometimes we think that God hates emotion. God created emotion. He did not want us to live without emotion. Never, 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 never in the Bible does it say not to feel afraid. It says not to be afraid, which means don't act on that emotion. It tells you to be angry and don't sin, right? It tells us, so we can have emotion, just don't act on that emotion. What it is, is we take this emotion to God. And we're going to see that Jehoshaphat does just that. He feels this emotion. He feels fear. What is your emotion? Is it anger? Is it depression? Is it, is it sadness? Is it grief? Is it this deep hurt? Is it, what is that emotion that you have felt in these unexpected things that you have faced? Okay, the first thing that Jehoshaphat do, it said he set himself to seek the Lord. In the Amplified, it says, and set himself to seek the Lord as a vital necessity. As a vital necessity. So not only did I get this news, this unexpected thing, not only did I get that, but I've set myself to seek God as a vital necessity, meaning I just can't go on without taking this to God. I cannot respond to this without taking it to God. Do we do that with our circumstances? The situations? Or do we feel the fear, act on the fear, post our fear on Facebook, phone a few friends with fear, and then pray about our fear, stay in our fear, figure out how to handle our fear, and then be like, oh yeah, God, 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 what do you say about my fear? That's usually how we handle it. But Jehoshaphat says he feared and he set himself to seek the Lord as a vital necessity. But then here's what he did. He proclaimed a fast throughout all of Judah. So what happened? He got the news. He felt the emotion. He went to private prayer. And now he's contacting his friends. Now he's contacting the people around him. And he proclaims a fast. And then he, in a minute, we're going to see that he goes and prays. But he proclaims a fast. What did he spread? He spread the faith that he got in private prayer to the people around him, not the fear that he felt because of the news. 
We have the power to do that as well. We can either get the news and spread the news or the fear of the news that we feel or the anger of the news that we feel. What, what are you spreading to the people around you? What are you spreading to the people closest to you? You get this news, what do you spread? As long as it's not COVID, we're safe. Don't spread COVID, bad idea, okay? But what news are you spreading to the people? What emotion are you giving? They are giving Jehoshaphat here. He gives off faith. He says, hey, I'm going to spread a fast. I need us to get help from God. It says that he set a fast. He proclaimed a fast to ask for help from the Lord. To ask for help from the Lord. So he goes to the people and he says, hey, guys, this is what's happening. We need God's help. It's a vital necessity. We will not respond until we have a word from God. The end. He didn't spread fear. He didn't spread worry. He didn't spread anger. He didn't spread any of those things. He spread faith. We have the exact same opportunity. Then Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of Judah in Jerusalem in the house of the Lord before the new court and said, and we're going to read this prayer. This is his public prayer. So he got the news. He felt the emotion. He fact-checked the emotion with truth in private prayer. And then he came from private prayer. He proclaimed a fast. He said, I need everybody in a place that they're hearing from God. Why did he proclaim a fast? Because praise is a sacrifice. Because when I have to make my mind, my will, my emotions line up with the word of God, then that is fasting. That's what we're doing is getting our flesh under control. So he's saying, I need you guys to get your emotions under control and focus on what God's about to say, because it is a vital necessity that we act on what his word says. So he gets to there. Then he prays. I want us to focus. This prayer is so powerful on what he prays. Because so many times, even in our prayers, we go to God and we are so consumed with our situation. It's like we're inviting God into the circumstance. Why would God come to a circumstance he already defeated? God, please come into my bondage. You are welcome here. God doesn't want to be there. God did not want to go to Egypt. He brought them out of Egypt. There was a purpose for that. And so he does not want to come to our Egypt. He wants to take us out of there. When we're so consumed with our circumstance and not in thanks and not in praise and about to pray how Jehoshaphat prays, when we're focused on the opposite, we are asking God to come to Egypt and chill out with us and bring us peace. Instead of coming out of that place, praise takes us out. Focusing on our circumstance keeps us in. Complaining keeps us in. Whining keeps us in. Acting on our emotion keeps us in. Praise will take us out. It takes us to a new level. So here's what he does. He says, oh Lord, God of our fathers, are you not in heaven? Does that sound similar to anything else? Our father. Who does art in heaven? Um, we did this in Bible study and I made everybody learn it in the children's version because I've read the Lord's prayer like a thousand times. I don't even know what it means. I'm just going to be honest with you. You're like, oh, she is not holy. Get off the stage. Actually, I am. See, um, but so we, we think about the Lord's prayer. Our father, who does art in heaven? How, hello, be your name. Because who knows what hallowed means? It's like a type of swallow or something. You guys like thought about that for a minute? I've been through it over and over. I'm like, I don't know what this means. So I just skipped that chapter 
all the time. But then when I read it in the kids' version, I actually know what it means. But when you address a label, or like to mail an envelope to somebody, you put their name and where they live, right? That's how you know what's gonna get to them. So when I say, my God in heaven, in the kids' version, it's our Father who lives in heaven. We need to know where he's located. So I'm going, I'm praying to the God that is overlooking my circumstance. I'm praying to the God that is above what I'm facing. I'm praying to the God that has a different vantage point than me. So when I pray my God in heaven, I'm saying, I'm praying to my God who is above this. He's not in this. He's not under this. He is above this. So it's important that Jehoshaphat says that here. And it says, and do you not rule over all the kingdoms and the nations? And in your hand, is there not power and might so that no one is able to withstand you? Are you not our God who drove out the inhabitants of this land before your people of Israel and gave it to the descendants of Abraham, your friend, forever? And it keeps going. We're going to keep reading it, but I want to take another pause out of this, the, the prayer here and focus on what he's doing. So first off, he declares who he's praying to. I'm praying to God that is above all of this. And then he breaks down the prayer and he says, now I'm going to declare who you are. See, so many times we're praying for God, somebody, I don't actually know who you are because I don't read my Bible, but I need you to come and fix the situation. Jehoshaphat has taken time to declare exactly who he is. That's why we took time just to worship and say, you are good. You are good. You are good. There is power in knowing who God is. And when we pray, what it does is it's building his faith here. He's not praying this. And it's all phrased in a questions like, are you that God? He's not phrasing it that way. Like he's questioning who God is. He's phrasing it in a way of going, are you not that God? You are this God. But what it's doing is two things. It's declaring who God is out of his mouth, right? Because the praise should be continually on our lips. So it's declaring who God is out of his mouth right? But it's building his faith over his situation. He's declaring exactly who he is. Notice that he's not saying anything about sickness. He's not fighting sickness. He's fighting a nation invading him. So what he's saying is he says, um, your hand is there not power and might so that no one is able to withstand you. Are you not our God who drove out the inhabitants of this land before your people and gave it to the descendants of Abraham, your friend forever? If we would pray that way and go, you're God, you are more than a conqueror. You, you God have already overcome everything. You God, your strength is made perfect in my weakness. You God are above everything. You God are limitless in power, are limitless in, he's always with us. He's the beginning and the end. He knows our tomorrow. He's already been there. That if we would declare that to God, see what it's doing is it's building faith. So when he prays this publicly, he's not going, God, they're going to come get us. Please help us. That's never actually listed in his prayer. He prays a prayer of faith to say, God, this is who you are. God, I just want to declare who you are. Why? Because that's praise. And praise exalts God over our circumstance. Notice we're halfway through the prayer. He hasn't mentioned that he's being attacked. His problem hasn't made it in the prayer yet. For us, usually our problem is the first thing in the prayer because that's all we actually are thinking about. We're not thinking about God, if we're honest. Most of the time we pray. Like when you pray before you food, are you thinking about God or your food? <laughs> right? Most of us are thinking about our food. 
right? Get in my belly. That's what we're thinking. If, and they dwell in it and have built you a sanctuary in it for your name, saying if disaster comes upon us, sword, judgment, pestilence, or famine, we will stand before this temple and in your presence and cry out to you in our affliction and you will hear and save. Okay, now what's he doing? He's declaring a promise that had been made to Abraham that still applies to him. So now he's said, this is the God I'm talking to. This is who you are. And now I'm gonna declare your promises over what's going on right now. First three things in his prayer are not his problem. Why? Because God already knows our problem. He knows what we're facing. He doesn't need to hear about it. He needs us to be able to build our faith to the point that we can see our problem from his perspective. And so he's all the way to this point still has declared promises, but not the problem. Now we're going to see the problem, but I want us to pay attention on how he phrases it. And now here are the people of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir. He names the enemy whom you would not let Israel invade when they came out of the land of Egypt, but they turned from them and did not destroy them. Here they are rewarding us by coming to throw us out of your possession, which you have given us to inherit. So how does he phrase this problem? He names the enemy and he names the possession that he has that the enemy's trying to steal. So let me explain that. When we are praying, maybe it's for healing. We go, God, cancer is trying to steal the health that you designed me to walk in. Do you see the difference? Instead of, God, heal the cancer that's killing me. We just totally like gave life to the problem. He said, God, cancer is stealing the health that I have been promised. Cancer is stealing the health that you've given me to possess. God, this is stealing the provision that you've given me. God, this is stealing the peace that you've given me. God, this is stealing the joy that you've given me. All of these things, all of the promises that we possess in the word of God, the enemy is going to attack those things. So locate, who is your enemy? Because as we said earlier, everything that has a name has to bow to the name of Jesus. So we call it by name and say, this thing is stealing what you have given me to possess. What is the enemy trying to steal? What is it in your circumstance, in that thing? What is his target? Is it peace? Is it your family? Is it your marriage? Is it your finances? Find the promise that backs up what God's given you to possess. Call the enemy on his stuff and say, this enemy is stealing this promise and it's not okay. That's what Jehoshaphat says right here. And he says that he turned, um, that you've given us to inheritance or to inherit. Oh, our God, verse 12, most powerful line in the whole prayer. Oh no. Just kidding. Will you not judge them? Now, this is the most powerful line in the prayer. For we have no power against this great multitude that is coming out against us, nor do we know what to do, but our eyes are upon you. We have no power. Sometimes in the situations that we're facing, most of the time in the situations that we're facing, we really don't know what to do. We really don't know what our response should be. And we feel powerless against the vast 
thing that's coming out against us. We feel powerless against the year 2020. We feel powerless about all the regulations and the rules and everything going on at home because our kids are stuck at home instead of being at school. And we feel powerless because we're locked in home because we just keep being locked inside. And it's this big situation and we feel powerless. But if we can honestly say, God, we do not know what to do, but not stop there. That's a hopeless prayer. God, I don't know what to do. It's all you, man. That did not give me any hope. <laughs> right? I'm like, great. I'm worse than I started. Now I don't know what to do. And I'm pretty sure God didn't tell me what to do. But the next line is key. My eyes are set on you. My eyes are set on you. Remember at the beginning, I said there are two things always present. There's our circumstance and there is God. Whichever we set our eyes on will be the thing that wins. Will be the thing that wins. I can set my eyes on the circumstance or I can set my eyes on God. And one of those two things are going to win, but it depends on my eyes. Did you know when Jesus fed the 5,000? Okay, the problem was they didn't have any food, right? So he said, what do you have? The disciples bring them the, the fish and the loaves. So he has the fish and the loaves. Did you know he didn't look at the fish and the loaves and go, multiply? <laughs> we think that's what he did. We think he was like, he loves me. He loves me not. And somehow everybody got fed. That is not what happened in this story. When you look at the story, it says that he took the fish and the loaves and he set his eyes on heaven and they were multiplied. He didn't even set his eyes on the lack. Where are our eyes set when we're praying? Are they set on the problem? Are they set on the sickness? Are they set on the lack? Are they set on the depression? Are they set on the report? Are they set on the news? Where are our eyes set when we're praying? Jesus wasn't like multiply, 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 multiply. It didn't happen. It said he set his eyes on God and it was multiplied. I wonder in our circumstances, if we would set our eyes, we would turn our eyes, we would set them on God, what just might take place on our behalf? Why? Because this is the same problem I started with. I'm praying and it's still the same problem. It's the same thing I started with. This is bigger than these fish and loaf. Do we see the difference? Do we set our eyes? So this is powerful. We set our eyes upon you. Now all of Judah with their little ones, their wives and their children stood before the Lord. Then there's a lot of names that I don't know in there. So we're going to skip down. So they're all praying with Jehoshaphat. And we're going to skip to the point that the prophet says what God is saying. So this is at the end of verse 15. Thus says the Lord to you, do not be afraid nor dismayed because of this great multitude for the battle is not yours, but God's. Hold on, hold on. What did he mention first? God is a God of order. So this is important. Can we back up to the, the slide before this? Okay, do not be what? Okay, hold on, leave that up there. The first thing that we see Jehoshaphat did, it said, and Jehoshaphat feared. Why was Jehoshaphat afraid? Because of the circumstance that he was facing. Notice that God spoke to what was going on inside him before he spoke to the circumstance around him. God spoke to what was going on inside Jehoshaphat before he mentioned the multitude. Do not be afraid, nor why? 
because it says that God takes us from glory to glory to glory. This is very important. If our peace and our joy and our strength can only happen when outside circumstances are perfect, then we're gonna be very sad people. But we live that way. We said this in Bible study the other day. So usually we wake up in the morning and we have a plan for our day and it doesn't go the way that we planned and then we're frustrated at the end of the day because it didn't go the way we planned. So we get up the next day and we expect it to go the way we planned and then it didn't go the way we planned so we get frustrated because it didn't go the way we planned. And then we get up the next day and we have a plan for our day and it didn't go the way we planned so we're frustrated because it didn't go the way we planned. (laughs) And the best part is we just decide to live frustrated every day. I would think we would change something and go, today's probably not gonna go the way I planned, but what's on the inside of me is able to face whatever's gonna happen today. But instead we're like frustrated again, it didn't go the way I planned. So I ask them, has anybody ever had a day that went the way they planned? And they're like, now that you say it, (laughs) it's not coming to mind. (laughs) So let's change our perspective a little bit. Life is not gonna go the way we planned. If you bought a planner in 2020, it's the worst investment you've ever made should have bought coffee instead. It would have satisfied you in the moment at least, okay? When things don't go the way we plan, we freak out. There's no reason to freak out. Things are not gonna go the way we planned. I'm just gonna tell you, if that's the only thing you take away from today, write in huge letters, not my plan. It's not gonna go my way today, okay? But everything is gonna go God's way. But the only way that we know that is that if our eyes are set on him, if our eyes are set on the circumstances, it's gonna be a bad day. If our eyes are set on what's not right, it's gonna be a bad day. But if our eyes are set on him. So back to this verse, when he speaks directly to what's going on in here, it's because God's saying, I have something that only praise can unlock, that if you would get this on the inside of you, then there is peace, there is hope, there is joy, that there is strength, there is wisdom, there is creativity, there is all these things, all these promises that I've made available to you that are already on the inside of you that you have access to if you would deal with what's in here instead of focusing on what's going on out here. God wants to get in us first. And I'm gonna show you the danger of what happens when this doesn't. We're gonna get to the end of this story, but before we get to the end of this story, I wanna jump to another story. You can stay where you're at in your Bibles because I'm gonna paraphrase because we know the story. But the Israelites, okay? God brings them out of Egypt. And the first thing they do is they're afraid, right? Because they get to the Red Sea, the enemies come in behind them, and now they're at this impossible situation. Things were not going as planned in their day either. Don't worry, it's not just you, you're not alone. But they get there, not planned. There's a Red Sea, they can't get to the other side. They can't cross this thing. You guys like think about this story? Have you guys ever seen a sea part? That's kind of a huge thing. I mean, we tell it in class enough, it's a cute story. But again, it's not a cute story. The sea parts, they cross on dry land. It comes in and swallows up their enemy. Okay, that's kind of a big event to tally. Like one for God, zero for the enemy. That's a big moment. But here's what happened. The Israelites in their entire time in the desert, never let what God was doing in their circumstances get in them. They only let him as far as their circumstance. 
They lived circumstance to circumstance to circumstance to circumstance to circumstance. And so often we do the same thing, that we live frustration to frustration to frustration to frustration to frustration because now they just saw the Red Sea parted, but they're hungry. So we don't go, oh, well, if God parted the Red Sea, surely he can give us a snack, right? No, we freak out. Now we don't have food. I was better off back there. Well, if you were back there, you wouldn't have seen the Red Sea part. Like, look what God just did. But that never got on the inside of them. They had never let what God did for them get inside them. They missed it. And now they're thirsty. God literally just like rained down some food. Have you guys seen that happen? Like, man, that's incredible but now they're thirsty. So instead of going, well, I know God's going to provide because I have some peace on the inside of me now. I have some faith in who God is now because of what I've seen him do, because of who I know he is. And I don't have to worry about being provided for because I know he's my provider because I know it because I've experienced it, right? No, they freaked out again. And again and again and again for 40 years. So now they're at this point where all they got to do is cross the river. They just crossed the sea 40 years ago, but they crossed the sea. Now they just have to cross the river and there's some giants over there. But after everything that God had done in their life, don't you think this would be a cakewalk? This is not even a situation that they hadn't faced before. That's the part that gets me. They've already seen God come through on their behalf in this exact situation, but they freaked out again. And this is where I'm going with that, is that never once do we see that they offered praise and offered thanks to God. And remember when I said at the, at the beginning that praise unlocks things on our behalf that we can't get any other way? Praise is what, when we see God at work, when we see God at work, even in the word, maybe you haven't seen that physical, tangible thing in your life, but we see him at work in the word and we praise him and go, God, I thank you that you are faithful. When we take the time to praise, that's how it gets on the inside of us. And then that's what comes out the next time. And so we allow that thing to be on the inside of us. So then when we face the next battle, what comes out is God, I thank you that you're faithful, right? Because that's what I came away with from the last thing I faced. I didn't take the fear with me. I didn't take the worry with me. I didn't take the anxiety with me. I took praise with me. I took praise and praise is what unlocks the next thing and the next thing and the next thing. God is our provider and that's a promise. It says that he's given us everything that we need for life and godliness. And he did that for the Israelites. But the fulfillment of everything that he had in store from them could only be unlocked through praise and they missed it because they got to the situation and still after all this time, the situation was bigger than God because they never let the praise get in them. That's the importance when he, God says, do not be afraid nor dismayed. He's dealing with what's in here first because of this great multitude for the battle is not yours, but God's. Verse 16, tomorrow go down against them. They will surely come up by the ascent of Ziz and you will find them at the end of the brook in the wilderness of Jeruel. You will not need to fight in this battle. Position yourselves, stand still, and see the salvation of the Lord who is with you. Hold on. We get a word from God. 
And God says to position yourself to see the salvation of the Lord. What do we position ourselves to see? We get a word from God. We've been in prayer. Now we're facing this circumstance again. Do we position ourselves to see what the enemy is going to do? How much of an effect it's going to have on me? Get my backup plan. I position myself to get a backup plan. I position myself or do we position ourselves to go, God spoke. I'm acting on what he spoke. And I'm positioning myself to see his salvation. The only way to position ourselves to see his salvation is through praise. Because we see from a different vantage point. For the Lord is with you, O Judah and O Jerusalem. Do not fear or be dismayed. There it is again. Tomorrow go out against them, for the Lord is with you. And Jehoshaphat bowed his head with his face to the ground, and all of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem bowed before the Lord, worshiping the Lord. Okay, they're having this celebratory party, right? They are worshiping. They are praising. They are thanking because of what they've just been told. This is a huge part of the story. What changed in their circumstance? Nothing. Their circumstance is exactly the same as when we started this story. In fact, it's probably worse because the enemy's still advancing. They didn't stop. They're still coming. So their circumstance, this unexpected event, this bad news that they got has not changed at this point in the story. Nothing in their external circumstance has changed. Everything in their internal has changed. Nothing has changed out here. Everything has changed in here. They start by being in fear. It says Jehoshaphat feared, and then he prays privately, and then he gets people to fast and pray so they can see what God is going to say, and then he prays publicly, and then God speaks, and now they are worshiping at what God said. They are praising. Why? Because I can change my focus from what's going on out here. Our focus, it said that we set our eyes on God. Now, my eyes are so set on God that I don't even care where the enemy's at. I don't care what he's doing. I don't care how close he is. I don't care how much bigger my circumstance looks at this moment because my eyes are set on my God. Because my eyes are set where they're supposed to be. So nothing has changed out here. Everything has changed in here. Man, everything has changed in here. Then the Levites and the children of the Koalites and the children of the Korahites stood up to praise the Lord God of Israel with voices loud and high. So they rose early in the morning and went out into the wilderness of Tekoa. And as they went out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, again, look at what he's repeating. He does not repeat the problem. He repeats what God's word says. Watch closely. The enemy is not mentioned. Believe in the Lord your God and you shall be established. Believe in his prophets and you shall not, or you shall prosper. And when he had consulted with the people, he appointed those who should sing to the Lord and who should praise the beauty of his holiness as they went out before the army and were saying, praise the Lord for his mercy endures forever. He did not repeat the problem. They're going to face said problem but he only repeats what the word says. He only repeats what they heard from God. He did not repeat what they were facing. Why? Because when our eyes are set on him, our enemy becomes little, little, little. Our circumstance becomes very small. So he goes and it says, now when they began to sing and to praise, hold on. Now as they began to sing, and to praise. Remember when I said praise will unlock for you what can be unlocked in no other way? 
When they began to sing and to praise, the Lord set ambushes against the people of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, who had come against Judah, and they were defeated. What would have happened had they not praised? I don't know. It doesn't say. But (laughs) cliffhanger. I don't know. I have no clue what would have happened had they not praised. But I do know what happened to the Israelites. They never saw the promised land. Now, I do know that when God speaks, his word can't return void. And I do know that when God says something, that he follows through with what he says. Okay, but look at carefully here. Do not be afraid nor dismayed because of this great multitude, for the battle is not yours, but God's. Okay, that's cool. You will not need to fight this battle. Position yourself, stand still, and see the salvation of the Lord. Do not be, or do not fear, or be dismayed. Tomorrow go out against them, for the Lord is with you. God doesn't say how he's going to defeat the enemy. God didn't tell them, if you praise, I'll defeat them. He told them to position themselves to see the salvation of the Lord. He told them that he was with them, which he was. But he didn't say how this was going to happen. So I wonder, I just, I really do. Would the enemy have been completely annihilated if they went and appraised? Or would God have just protected them? Because God never said in his promises that he was going to wipe them out. It was never said. So maybe it could have been that had they not praised, the enemy was still there. That thing was still there. God protected them and God was with them. Yeah, they didn't get defeated that day. God was with them, but maybe the enemy wasn't annihilated. Because praise unlocks something that cannot be unlocked any other way. And it says, when they began to praise, the Lord set ambushes. When they began to praise. For the people of Ammon and Moab stood up against the inhabitants of the Mount Seir to utterly kill and destroy them. And when they had made an end to the inhabitants of Seir, they helped to destroy one another. So when Judah came to a place, what's that word? Hmm. Overlooking. Our God who is in heaven. When I praise, I see from a different vantage point. When I praise, it takes me to a place that I see over what's trying to take me out. It takes me to the place that I'm not looking up at my circumstance and my circumstance is bigger than me. I come to a place that I'm looking down at my circumstance because that's where God has created us to prosper, to conquer, to have victory, to be able to walk out the fullness that he has for us. He wants to take us to a place that we're looking down at the thing that's trying to take us out. So it says that they came to the place overlooking the wilderness. And they looked towards the multitude and there were dead bodies fallen on the earth. No one had escaped. No one had escaped. Why? Because they chose to praise. They chose to keep their eyes set on God.